Welcome, everyone, to Friends Church. If you're uh, here joining us even for the first time, welcome. And for all our regulars, seeing more and more faces moving in, coming back, is re-emerging. It's, it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing as we learn how to be a community again, move out of isolation. Uh, exciting. The, the ladies are getting together tomorrow night down at the porch in 17th Avenue, a little Galentine's event, they're calling it. You can find out more information. You can reach out to Diane or go online. You know, Friends Church really is about this place. Uh, this song that Alessandra just sang captures so much of what we're trying to do here on Sunday mornings. Within this community period, is allowing space and time to be able to go inside, to in, be introspective, to look and examine what is going on inside of me in light of everything that's happening around me being able to reflect and be able to observe these things. And, and when there's things that are out of order, things that are out of alignment with the person that we're wanting to be, to be able to recognize it, and what's behind that thing, to, to be more reflective about the people and the world that we are living in, the situations around us and how we're affecting them, how they're affecting us, figuring out what is my responsibility in this world around me? What is my contribution? These are things the world will not stop you and say, think about this deeply. You don't get this space to do that. That's what this is for. We call it a spiritual gym for that reason, to get you thinking deeply, processing deeper, allowing your spirituality to sink roots down and in and live a more intentional life. You know, one thing I'm learning about myself, and I'm learning that kind of um, through some own, my own personal circumstances in my, in my own family life. Um, and that is that I am uncomfortable largely with other people who are not doing well. I don't know if anyone else can relate, but I tend to want to make someone feel better if they're not feeling better. I struggle when I don't have the power to do that when they are sitting in a bit of a dark place and I have no answer for that. That makes me extremely uncomfortable. I do not like to watch suffering. Something inside me starts going sideways. I feel like it's sucking me in and I'm like, ugh. I I watched it as inside of me happening as I observed the earthquake that took place in Syria and Turkey. At first, it's big news. You watch it and you go, holy crap, that is unbelievable. And then the death toll starts climbing. And, and the shots and the, the, the news that's coming back and just how, like this is, Syria was always, already one of the most hellish places on earth following their civil war. It was, Aleppo was left in ruins. You remember that as a community, we, we adopted a family from Syria. There were some, fam- some people, individuals in our community that put up this huge effort to bring a family out of that war-torn area a number of years ago and set them up here. What they escaped from was already hell. But this thing has raised, literally leveled any form of life. What those people are going through right now is absolutely unbelievable. 
And as I watch those images, there's something in me that just craves turning that channel right now. I, I can, it's just hard to absorb and to, to feel with those people. But this is one thing I've learned about the spiritual journey. It's learning to stare into the darkness, to feel the pain of others, to feel the empathy rise, and to ask sometimes the questions, what could I do? What can I do for that? And not to be overwhelmed, not to let it kind of become all-consuming, but to be able to just simply say, is there something here? That's what we got doing as a team. We started saying, is there a response here that we can as a community make? Sometimes it's individual, but sometimes corporately we say, it's time. Let's, let's call our community to something. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want you as a part of your spiritual journey to consider doing something for this effort. We don't do this often. We reached out on behalf of the Ukraine a while back. But I'm telling you, $5? Could you do $5? Are you solving everything? No. Are you doing something as a part of your own spiritual journey to say, I'll respond and help in some way I can. If you would be here this morning and you get what I'm talking about, I'm going to encourage you to reach out. You can actually take a snapshot of that QR code. It'll take you right to our giving page. And, uh, and you could give. You could donate. Every dime that goes to this fund, we are directing into an organization that we know is boots on the ground, very efficient in this environment right now. As a community, we want to cultivate compassion and always be willing to ask the question, what, is there something we can do? This is one thing we think is worthy of our community's support at this time. So jump on, if you will. Hey, you're in for a good morning this morning. Uh, glad you got out of bed, all of you who did. Uh, this is going to be a treat. Vince. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, that is, those, those events hit hard, don't they? Um, tonight, after an introvert who I am stands in front of a crowd of people who you all are, uh, I'm going to be exhausted. And so by about 8 o'clock tonight, I'm going to be useless to do anything valuable. So what we do is we usually watch a movie. Sunday evenings is kind of our ritual, me and my wife. Seems like a nice ritual. Until I ask the question, what movie should we watch? <laughs> oh, you all know that one, don't you? <laughs> question for you. Now, and I'm just going to give your answer ahead of time. Your answer is, of course I like these kind of movies. You know, Spartacus, violence, blood spraying, you know, heads flying in nice artful ways. Can I get an amen from everyone? Yes, amen. So relaxing, isn't it? It's just so relaxing. Like, oh, I know who the good guy is. I know who the bad guy is. Easy. Until I look over at my wife, and she's doing one of these. Hey, babe, have you breathed in the last five minutes? How <laughs> has anyone solved the problem of how do you find the perfect thing for two or more people? And it, it, movies, that's an easy one, right? What about your friends? You're like, hey, let's get together. Well, what should we do? Well, I would like to go run to the top of a mountain. What would you like to do? Well, I'd like to sit at a pub and have a drink. 
is there some mythical land where everything that you want and everything that people in your life want, that's the same? Is there, has anyone found that? No? Nothing? How exactly do we manage these things? And this isn't just a relational message. No, no, no. What's the spiritual foundation of the answer to that question? At this point, you're all saying, well, Vince, don't watch violent movies. Everything will be fine, right? I'm going to show you that that might not be the right answer. You see, I don't know if you guys are realizing this, but we're actually on a five-year journey. Actually, no, it's a seven-year journey to study the first five books of the Bible. Anyone paying attention? You're tracking it? We're now on the fifth book called Deuteronomy. It's Greek for second law. We started off in Genesis, went all the way through. And now we're starting in this book, Deuteronomy, that's basically asking these really interesting questions through the form of a story. And one of the questions I think they're asking is, how do you pick a movie on Sunday night? Now to do that, I have to, you know, I'm a hermeneutics geek. This is my background. So I always have to ask the question, what genre is the text? Remember genre is important? Can you throw up the picture for me? So I just want to show you why genre is important. You're sitting in a movie theater. You're watching a movie. This is what comes up in the movie. It's a horror movie. What do you want the main character to do? Run. Okay, what about if it's a movie of like seeing your dead relatives that you've been longing to see forever and you desperately want to see them? Now you see this. What do you want them to do? Go towards the light. Genre changes everything. You can take the same image and have a completely different action. One is run towards, the other one is run away just because we shifted the genre. So asking the question, what genre are we talking about here, makes a huge difference. Here's the thing. The Torah, first five books of the Bible, it's not written by one person. In fact, it's, think of it this way. You all had a tradition of stories that you guys wrote. You all had a tradition of stories you guys wrote. You guys had a tradition of you guys wrote. And then I took them and picked whichever ones I wanted to build another story that was kind of all your stories, but it was really my story. That's how the first five books are written. And I'm going to air quote written. The technical term is redacted. That's a good word, huh? Redacted. So the question is, what genre is the redactor doing? The stories are kind of, they sound like real life stories, but when we look at archaeology, we realize they're not quite right. The story starts that we're talking about today starts in a nation of people, let's say give or take a million, and they go for 40 years in a desert, and they're at the edge of this new place called the promised land. It's like, well, do I need to say anything more? Promised land. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It is. We have no archaeological evidence that there was a million people who lived in the desert for 40 years. So this story that the redactor's doing isn't a historical story. But it's more like, you know, at the beginning of a movie, it's inspired by true events. Yeah, there's some kernel there that was maybe real, but yeah, the redactor kind of went on their own journey on this one. So we're not going to ask the question, did this story happen? We're not going to make logic jumps that says, since this story is real, therefore... Because it's inspired by true events. 
could have been some dude named Moses and they built this whole story around something else and the only thing that's inspired is his name. That's kind of how it works, right? But the stories aren't about history. They're about spirituality. And a specific kind of spirituality. Oftentimes we think these are stories about what does the divine look like? But I don't think that's the genre. I think the genre is human spirituality inspired by actual events. When we look at these stories, we don't ask the question, what happened back then? We don't ask the question, is this a true story? Meaning, did it historically happen? We ask the question, what does this story say about my spirituality? What does it say about my spirituality that the nation of Israel is sitting there on the edge of the promised land? Promised land's right over there. They're just across the border. And they want that. They spent 40 years trying to get to that. They're right there. It's just like one more step and we're in. But here's the problem. And here's why I think this is our story. And here's why I told you the story about my wife and I picking a movie. Because there's somebody who lives in the promised land already. And, shocker, they don't want the nation of Israel to move in next door. You go to a work meeting. Hey, how are we going to solve this big problem? Bunch of people start throwing out ideas. They're not all the same idea, right? The end idea that they actually pick, you're going, oof, that's not my favorite idea. That's the scenario. Most of our lives, we're living across from somebody else, and what that other person wants isn't necessarily what we want. And what we want isn't necessarily what they want. That's the reality of life. That's the spiritual condition. It sucks, let's be honest. It'd be way easier if my wife just liked violent movies. This would all go away. And if I would like complex emotional dramas where people are doing emotional things and reading emotional cues that are so far beyond what my pea-sized brain can figure out. Every 10 seconds, I'm like, okay, what, why did they just do that? What, what's just going, I don't even understand. In violent movies, bad guy, good guy. That's all you need to know. In your life, where do you feel most acutely that somebody is living in the spot you would want to be in? friend of mine, he won't drive Deerfoot anymore. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm driving down the road. I want to move lanes, and there's somebody right there in my lane. I signal. What do they do? Nothing. They just ignore me. That's the story of the people in the promised land. They're sitting right there on the edge. It's right there, but those people don't want to give it to them. friend of mine, she's a psychologist, super smart, done a ton of work on herself, been in therapy. We were talking about this, not this story, but this concept. And she's like, oh, all you need to do is just throw away what you want and they'll be happy. Right? 
If I just ignore violent movies and say, I no longer like violent movies, I don't. I like deep, complex, emotional dramas that have all sorts of like crazy stuff in it that I can't figure out, but I like those. That's the natural reaction. In fact, in my spiritual tradition, that was the Christian answer. If you speak too loudly of what you desire, of who you are, you're being selfish. Isn't that what Alessandra said? And yet, the story of the nation of Israel doesn't stop with them sitting at the border and them going, huh, well, this is awkward. How about we just not want to go into the promised land anymore? Everyone's good with that? Everyone, yeah, we're good? Okay, we're just going to sit here and turtle. Do you want to go into the promised land yet? Nope. There's an ancient story that starts the Torah. It's a different genre. It's a poem. It's called the creation poem. And in it, what we see is these epochs of creation. People have used this as scientific support. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's the end of each epoch. The creator says, this is good. At the end, the creator creates humanity and says, this is very good. Later on, it says, um, can you throw up the quote for me, Jeremy? So God created human beings in his own image. Let's put an air quote around his, gendered, throw it away. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just let me take an excursus here for a second. Male and female in this era just means all y'all. All people. I should maybe translate it this way. I didn't want to, but. So God created the image of God. He created them. All people, he created them. This isn't a gendered thing. This isn't he only created men and women. It means all. In the image of God. Now we're going to do this stage four style. So I'm not going to tell you what this means, but I am going to tell you one lens that's been used for history is this. You're made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. Your family members, your next door neighbors, all made in a way that who they are and who we are is fundamentally valuable. Even the people we hate even the people we think are doing atrocious things, made in the image of God. Well, when you say I'm made in the image of God, I really like that. When you say my enemy's made in the image of God, I do not like that as much. But what it does is it says this, I can't reject everything that I am so that somebody else is happy without rejecting this core divinity in me. And you can't reject everything that you are in order to make the people around you happy without rejecting your core divinity. That's a bit trickier. There's this, a theologian, um, his name is Paul Tillich. He's from the existential tradition. He says this, sin... Uh, 
Anyone grew up with the term sin? It's usually defined as the thing that pisses off God. Let's put that aside for a second if you can. Sin, that word, hamartia, means missing the mark. And when Tillich did his research and his conception of all of the spiritual journey, he said, actually, the mark you're missing is a full and complete connection to who you truly are. That's sin. Let that sink in for a second. To deny who I am, to suppress my desires, to say, no, 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 I will pick Outlander for tonight because that's the movie that you like, and I won't say anything about what I like. In Tillich's language, that's sin. Man, it starts to get complex when you look through it this way. I grew up in a family where my grandfather was pretty troubled. I'll use that word. Abusive. Treated his kids horrifically. I don't know why. Every kid, I was just back at a funeral a little while ago, every kid responded to that in their own way. Now remember, I'm going to come back to my dad's story. Remember, we have a spiritual journey model that we've been talking about the last little while. It's not the right answer. It's just a lens. Can you throw it up for the picture for me? It says most of our lives we can look through this lens of I, them, I is me, them is my wife, them is you, them is anyone. You are I, everyone around you is they. When those two things are in perfect balance, we find this we sense. When they're out of balance, there is no we. And there's something about the divine when we find this balance. In my dad's family, there was no balance. He was taught growing up to focus on his dad. To be whatever his dad needed him to be to make sure he didn't get upset. So he didn't raise his voice. So he didn't get angry. And so my dad was taught that the way it works, relationships work, is you suppress your eye. Now he gets married. He has kids, three kids. But he's still traumatized by his growing up years. And so he, he, whenever we would get upset, he would just, you could just tell, like, he could not deal. You guys all know I'm a bit of a acquired taste, we'll say. A strong personality. <laughs> Stop laughing. You're supposed to say, oh, Vince, you're not. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I could take it. But one area I can't hold on to my eye. It's in intimate relationships. Because I was raised in a family where you suppress your eye to avoid conflict. It was my dad's survival strategy. He taught it to each one of his kids. 
Now, I'm just going to say, like, props to my dad. Compared to what he grew up with, compared to how he raised us, he was a freaking saint. But he never taught us how to honor our eye. And so when me and Ellie are sitting there at night and I'm picking a movie, there's something deep inside of me that's going, well, what does she want? Oh, if I pick that movie, ooh, that's not, she's not going to like that. Okay, I can't pick that one. I can't say that. Ooh, that's going to upset her. Oh, no, I can't do that either. Anyone have those feelings growing up? That sense where it's like, Asking for what I want, saying what I want. I know the other person's not going to like that. And so if we go back to the nation of Israel, there's a nation of Israel standing right here and them saying what they want, which is I want to go into the promised land, by definition is not favorable to the people there who live in the promised land, who don't want new neighbors, who don't want to share their fields, who don't want to share their houses. And so it's a metaphor of our lives. What do we do? My friends said, well, if you just turtle, if you just suppress your eye, everything will be fine. And yet there's no way forward there. Anyone, don't put up your hand, but has anyone been suppressing their eye for so long that when I ask you, what do you want in your life? You're like, I don't think I want anything. I don't think... There's just nothing there. We know there's wants in there. But we've suppressed them for so long. We can't even be conscious of them anymore. I had a friend. He had a dark secret. I don't even know what it was. There's a part of him that he could not accept. He could not, I don't even know. He drank, he partied, he had crazy, unsafe sex to try and suppress this thing that he was hiding inside of himself. In the end, I remember him talking to me one day. He said, Vince... I have suppressed my eye for so long. But he said, here's the problem. Because I've suppressed my eye, every time someone says, hey, I love you, man. Hey, you're a good person. Hey, let's get together. Hey, you're a good dad. Hey, you're a good uh, father. Hey, you're a good person. Hey, you killed it on that person. He's like, Every time they say it, all I can hear in my head is, but you don't truly know me. Because in suppressing his eye, he put forward something that wasn't him. And every positive reaction to that thing that he put forward, he's like, I can't accept it. The love that they feel, it's towards this. It's not towards me. And so we look at this moment where we go, all we need to do to make this work, to make our lives work, when we want something and somebody else wants something different, all we need to do is suppress our eye. And I'm going to tell you, this guy will die never feeling loved. 
Because the only way we can feel loved is when the people around us actually know I. If we live a lie, if we suppress ourselves forever, what they love isn't us. It's a made-up thing. The nation of Israel sitting there, you go, oh, it's just easy. <laughs> just suppress your eye and everything will be fine. And yet when we look at this, we go, okay, wait, eye, image of God. Eye, to suppress our eyes. Tillich's idea is to say, that's sin. And then we look at this final story and we say, to suppress who we are, to not let that into the world means that we will not be able to feel love. And so this answer, it's not that simple, is it? Me sitting in that room with my wife tonight trying to answer the question, what movie are we going to watch? It's not that simple. It's bringing out from each of us a profound spiritual truth of how we're going to balance the I and the them. And if we will ever feel something that is a we, where we can feel truly loved, that's what we're dealing with. You guys are like, oh crap. This movie picking thing just got even harder, didn't it? (laughs) How do we overcome it? There's one piece. There's a researcher named Alison Armstrong. Really like her work. She studied pair bonding for years. And she realized that some of us, because for whatever reason, personality, situation, upbringing, family, training, we will suppress our eye to the point where we can't even see it anymore. And she said, the antidote is this. You ask yourself a single question. Isn't it nice when someone says, oh, you just got to answer yourself a single question and everything's going to be fine, right? It's like, screw you. The reality is, the question's easy. It's the answer that's hard. She says, you have to sit yourself down. Often, you need to go away from all people. Even sometimes in nature, go to a park, sit yourself down and say this one question. If I had it all my own way, what would I want? And now you guys realize that this isn't a selfish question. This is a spiritual question. This is honoring the image of God. This isn't like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, I like violent movies, whatever. No, no, no. Who are we? If I had it all my own way. As soon as that comes up, I'm thinking, yeah, but I can't ask for that. There's no way. She's not going to like that movie. I can't do that. Can you hear the answer in your mind? If I had it all my own way. Where in our lives are we not sitting with that question? Where in our lives are we not saying, hey, you know what? 
can we talk about how we're going to do that project again? Because I don't think that way works for me. I call this message the tussle. Because as soon as we say I, and we realize that the them doesn't want what we want, what we realize is now there's going to be tension. There's going to be a push and pull. There's going to be an interaction. If you completely suppress your I, you don't have to worry about the tussle. You just have to live unloved and never feel any joy and beauty anymore. But as soon as the eye comes up, it's the tussle, and that's what we don't necessarily like. Well, how do I do this? We've seen the tussle go badly, right? Putin. <laughs> Putin seems, I actually know, I have no clue what that guy wants, but let's just say this. He wants Ukraine. Let's just say so that I can make this simple. His eye says, I want Ukraine. Nothing wrong with that. How he does it, I would like to say a lot of things wrong with that. You know, he could have called them up and said, hey, Zelensky, so I really like you guys. I really like your country. Anything we can do together? Can we work together, right? He could have done that. That's the tussle. He went full, like full bully. Like, I am going to take your sandbox kind of bully. We actually know from primate bonding, the alpha males in a, in a primate uh, group, the one that lasts the longest is not the biggest bully. Here's what happens to the biggest bully. Biggest bully comes in and is like, you know, I'm going to take over, kicks ass, and then keeps everything for himself. About a couple months later, all of a sudden, all the smaller beta primates are sitting in the corner going, let's kick his ass. As soon as he turns around, they take him out. The bully approach of the tussle doesn't work. In our case, it's called NATO. Right? Putin's like, oh, I'm going to take on that little country and most of the world. Crap. We do the same thing. So the opposite reaction, so the suppression of I, that one's pretty straightforward, right? That feels natural. The other side, especially when we don't do it, the tussle, we're getting the going, I must have this. You must do this for me. We will watch violent movies and you will like it. Can you imagine how well that would go? But there's a middle ground. That's this whole series. It's not saying black and white. I get my own way. I don't get my way. I suppress my eye. I don't suppress my eye. No, no, no. It's the tension of this. That's what makes it so... I was going to say beautiful, and I was like, yeah, that's not the right word. <laughs> Theoretically beautiful, practically unbelievably difficult. How do you sit with someone you love and say, hey, I want more of this, when you know deep down that they do not want that? How do you sit down with your, your colleagues at work and say, I don't like this? knowing that they love it. You walk into a party, they're talking about whatever they're talking about, the Super Bowl, and you're like, can we talk about existential philosophers named Paul Tillich? Because that's super interesting. What do you do? Naturally, I'll just be like, okay, who's playing in the Super Bowl? Uh, when's it playing? Oh yeah, that's good. That's suppressing the eye. 
coming in and saying, Super Bowl sucks. You guys are all like infantile, blah, blah, blah. We got to talk about Paul Tillich. That doesn't work either. So what's the tension? I was, I was having coffee with someone the other day. Uh, it, this technically was the other day. It was like on Friday. My brain thinks of everything as the other day, but this was Friday. Um, and I could feel this message inside of me. The person's talking, and they, they've spent a lot of time alone lately. And they're a talker. And they just, like, story after story, they didn't even put a break. You know when someone finishes a sentence, but they breathe just before they finish the sentence so that there's no break, and there's no way to, like, like literally two and a half hours. And I'm listening to this message going, this is a they party that I don't want to be at. And I'm trying to inject my eye in there and saying, okay, is there some common ground where we can talk? And I got about seven minutes of that in two and a half hours. It went from <laughs> spiritual we, so I call it water carrying. Whenever I do something for them that's not connected to me, to me it's taking water. And there's times when I'll choose to do that. Sending money to the earthquake relief? Yeah, that has nothing to do with me. I'm going to send my money because that's what I believe in. Water carrying. It's not relationships, though. I was hoping for a relationship. A balance between the I and the they. Even a little tussle. Can we figure this out? Not a two and a half hour barrage where I didn't even need to be in the room. I could have gone and like written this message while I, they were talking. I don't even think they would have noticed I left the room. The spiritual answer says, how do I speak into this? The spiritual answer says, how do I ask for what I want from my family? That's a tough one, isn't it? Most of this stuff comes from our family. Most of us were taught to suppress our eyes in our family. Don't feel those emotions. We don't like those. Don't feel that intensity because we don't like that either. Don't dress this way. Don't stay these kind of things. Don't study this, right? That's the suppression of I. How now then do we say, but this is who I am. Me feeling this is the image of God inside of me. This is me avoiding sin by saying to you, I would like this. I would like you to talk to me in a different way. It's a tussle. Just because you say it doesn't mean it's <laughs> you magically get it. But it's the beginning of the balance. Where in your life have you suppressed your eye? Where in your life are you not even aware of what you truly need and want and desire? Brene Brown says connection is made with two things. First, you need to be able to answer, answer the question, if I had it all my own way, what would I want? If that's, 
If you don't know the answer to that question, that's your starting point. Sit down. I would encourage you, go away from people. People are too loud. You can feel the they too loud. It's the, the they is screaming in your ear. So go away from them. Ignore them. Listen to loud music. Go to nature. I don't know what you need to do. And then ask yourself that question, that profoundly spiritual question. If I had it all my own way, if I honored who I am as an image of God, if I said sin is to deny who I am, what do I want? But then you need one more thing. Bravery. The nation of Israel is sitting right next to the promised land. And there's people in there who don't necessarily want them to show up. They want in. The answer is, do you have the bravery to step in and say, this is what I want? My answer is, I often don't have enough bravery. I talk myself out of it. Oh, sure, certain things. Something really intimate. Something really personal. Something that if someone says no to me, if they kick my sorry butt out of the promised land, that is going to devastate me. Those? Oh, I don't like those at all. The answer to this next piece is are you brave enough to bring your eye into the world? Are you brave enough to bring into a relationship that has been in imbalance for as long as you've been alive? Are you brave enough to bring it into a place where they like you because you're not who you are? You're like that addict who suppressed who you are and they're going, oh, we love you, you're awesome. You're going, you don't even know me. The antidote the spiritual antidote is bravery. So I'm going to finish this by asking you this final question. Where in your life do you need to be brave? Where in your life do you need to bring the image of God that is inside of you into the world around you? Good morning, my name is Kelty, and I usually show up at the start of the service, but you get me at the close today. This is the part of our service that we call charitable giving, and it's an opportunity for me to do two things. One, if you are new or newish here, it's to share with you that this church is a self-funded church, and there are a number of ways that you can help support the church uh, through your generosity. You can go onto the app and give a one-time donation. It's in the same place for the um, earthquake relief. You can also do preauthorized giving, which is where we set it up so that you can give on an ongoing cadence and don't have to do it every month. Also at the back of the church, there's a black box. You can go old school and pop in a check um, or fill out the form there. The other part that I'm here to talk to you a little bit about this morning is if you are new or newish um, and you'd like to tell us some of your stories, we'd love to meet you. Um, I know that it can be kind of one of those things when you come to a place, I remember for the first like five years I came to church here, I would come sit in like the third row on the end over here and then slide out that backside door as fast as possible after it was done in hopes that I didn't really have to talk to anybody. That's cool too. 
If that's not you, and you'd like to share your stories, we'd love to hear them, and we'd love to tell you a little bit more about us. At the back, beside the black box, there's a piece of paper that you can leave your information on, and we'll get in touch with you. Don't worry. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. Um, So there's no obligation. It's not scary. And it's an interesting way to maybe find out a little bit more about what we do, and we can find out a little bit more about you, too. So I am the only thing standing between you and the rest of your Sunday. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We hope to see you back here or online next week um, as we continue the conversation. Thank you so much.